you may realize this, but sometimes it's good to state the obvious for us. Um, all of us are not where we once were, and we are also not where we one day will be. Now, when we stop to think about that, we say, well, yeah. Um, the point is that we are all growing as people. You know, we are all growing as people. Now, the hope is that you are growing in a good way because there is that other option. Growth is uh, not the same for all, certainly, and all growth is not good. Uh, for example, Ginny and I, uh, since Ginny and I have been together, my waistline has grown 10 inches uh, from a 28-inch waist to a 38-inch waist. Uh, uh, that's not good. Also, some of us have grown more obnoxious, more judgmental, or more annoying. I will let you decide, um, but uh, just so you realize that also is not good. Some of us don't care about growth. We don't think about it that much, but you need to know you are growing. And you are either growing in a good way or a bad way. You're not standing still. Standing still isn't an option. It doesn't happen. You know, you are, you are either growing and improving or you are, you are growing by regressing. You are growing by, um, you know, coming apart more, deteriorating. Uh, you may not think of that as growth, but when we think of growth as change, that is indeed uh, what's going on. And here's the thing that you need to remember. When you don't care, weeds grow. You ever had a patch of ground that you just didn't care much about and so you ignored it? Um, it doesn't stay bare. Weeds grow. And, you know, and, and they, I, I noticed I have not had to plant weeds. They just, they just, um, you know, it just, it just happens. Um, now, I think it would be better for us if we were intentional about our growth. You know, and being intentional for growth. Uh, being intentional is partly part of that. Part of being intentional is putting ourselves in places conducive to growth. A greenhouse is more conducive to growing strong plants than the clay that they put around my house and told me you know, that this was good and that you can grow grass and that you can grow plants in it. And even though in front of the yard and they put these bushes in there and some of the bushes are growing, some of the bushes aren't because then when the clay gets hard and it chokes these things and the other ones and it grows and it's just a little pot of water and you pull it out and it's drowned in the plant. Uh, but I'm not bitter. Um, but, you know, greenhouse is, is certainly more, more conducive to that growth. A gym is better for your health, to improve your health. A gym is better than a donut shop. No, a donut shop might be more fun. But, uh, you know, the gym is better for, for your health. Gathering together with others who have a relationship with Christ is more conducive to your spiritual growth and your stability, at, at, you know, than surrounding yourselves with those who look for inner peace or some, you know, self-help things or other false religions are those who just don't care. It's better to be surrounded with those who have a relationship to Christ. So you're putting yourself in that place makes a difference. Being intentional, intentionally putting yourself in a place for growth makes a difference. Uh, today, I think we're going to get some help. I hope we do. We're going to look at the Apostle Peter. We're going to see how he grew and how he grew particularly in grace and knowledge as he walked with Jesus. But let's pray, and then we're going to get into a lot of different scriptures. Father, thank you. Thank you for... Um, the opportunity, the time, the places that you've given where we can grow. Some of it sometimes has been a little bit like a hot house where we have felt the pressure, but man, growth has really come. 
And there have been other times where it's been a little... Uh, uh, we've, we've found ourselves with people that have, have drawn us away from you, but man, those the times to be together with those who know you and love you and, and can help us grow. Father, I ask that you would help us now as we look into your word. Uh, you chose these, these apostles, and as we look at their lives, as we think about them, help us to do it in a way that will help us to see how we might better follow you and walk with you. So guide this time, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, last week we began a, a, a new um, series, if you will. We're looking at the apostles. We're going to look at, the, at all 12 of the apostles as we go through and see how they interacted with Christ, how Christ interacted with them, some of their personality perhaps that worked to help them, some that worked to uh, make it a struggle for them. But what did Jesus do? How did he work with them? How did you know those interactions work to bring growth about? And I think that I, I hope that it will help us to grow. Now, there's four different lists of the apostles that appear in the New Testament, and Peter's name appears first in all of them. He stands out as a leader. He stands out as a spokesman uh, for the group. He was also part of, of as you read through those lists, you can, they kind of break down into little subgroups almost. But what you'll see as you read through the uh, Gospels, I almost said epistles, as you read through the Gospels, what you'll see is there were, there were three, uh, three of the apostles that seemed to be a little bit a little bit closer to Jesus, and he falls into that group. He appears at times and places where the others weren't present, such as the transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured before them, and Peter is one of the three that are there. Uh, they were in a group that uh, seems was was physically closer to Christ as he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, his given name was Simon. It's a very common name, and there's at least seven different Simons mentioned in the gospel, his full name was uh, Simon Barjona. You see in Matthew chapter 16, uh, there's going to be a lot of different scriptures going to be on the, on the screen because otherwise you're going to get lost flipping back and forth. If it helps you, you know, jot down the reference there and you could look it up later. I'd encourage you to do that because I really want you to grab a hold of what God has to say here. Uh, but Matthew chapter 16, verse 17, it says, When Jesus answered him, you know, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Now, Bar-Jonah just simply means Simon, son of John. Bar means son of. So he is, you know, he is Simon, son of Jonah. And he was given another name in Luke chapter 6. Jesus gives him the name Peter. He says, you know, as he's calling them, Simon, who he also named Peter. So we'll see in scripture sometimes he is even referred to as Simon Peter. John most often refers to, John was close to Peter and he most often refers to Peter as Simon Peter. He, you know, he, he, he does that. Uh, in John chapter one, Andrew, uh, Simon's brother met Jesus and he brings his brother Simon to meet Jesus as well. This is the first meeting between Peter and Jesus. It says when Jesus saw him, you know, that's Peter he's speaking about. He said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means rock. Now, Cephas is just the Aramaic equivalent of Peter. Uh, we taught, we mentioned last week that Jesus, you know, that was the common language for him then. Jesus wasn't speaking Greek, he was speaking Aramaic. And he says he calls him uh, Cephas there. It's that Aramaic equivalent. Paul uses that for uh, Peter in, in 1 Corinthians, also in Galatians. He addresses Peter, he talks about Peter as, as Cephas. Uh, Jesus addresses him both as Simon and as Peter. 
And as you look through the Gospels, it, it seems really that he addresses him as Simon when he's acting impulsively and, and needed correction, uh, like his old self before he met Jesus, you know, like your parents called you by your full name, you know, and they used to say, you know, Kenton Bar Ralph, oh, it's the wrong one. When they used to say, you know, Jeffrey Yolanda Scanton, you know, then they knew that, you know, he, he knew that he was, he was in trouble there. Uh, Jesus here calls him Peter when he wants Peter to remember what he was called to. That new life, it seems, that is, as he's calling him up, you know, into that new life. Uh, and it's more than just feedback. It's more than, than just good talk here. Jesus is calling him upward. He's calling Peter, you know, upward to step in more to this new life that he's given him, to step more into being uh, this solid rock faith. He didn't have that when he was first called. He did. Peter's all over the map, and that's kind of how we remember him sometimes. But I hope what you'll see as we go through this, that he's not, uh, you know, he, he goes from being this guy who's all over the map, you know, emotionally and, and the whole thing, to a guy who's really settled down and, and really solid rock that, that Jesus called him to. He's calling him to growth here as we see this. We can see the transition in Luke chapter 5. We glanced at that a little bit last week. Uh, Jesus, is built, he builds his disciples' faith through a, a, catch, a miraculous catch of fish there after a fishless night. They went out fishing and didn't catch anything. And in Luke chapter 5, it said that when Jesus finished speaking, he was speaking to the crowd there. They had taken him out a little way from the shore so he could do that. It says when he finished, he said to, notice what it says, Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Simon here, he, his reply is a bit snarky, really. It's a, it's a little bit uh, condescending. Lord, we, the fishermen, the guys who know what we're doing, by the way, We've been out all night. I'm not sure what you were doing. Perhaps you were napping. We've been out all night fishing and we've caught nothing. Okay, that's an expansion on what he said. That's the, uh, you know, the evangelist uh, paraphrase of, of doing it. You know, he said, we've been out all night. We've caught nothing. You know, he's skeptical. He's reluctant. He goes on. He says, you know, but because you've said it, you know, we're going to go ahead and do it. And it almost get the impression as you're looking at that, that, Peter kind of said, we're going to, we're going to do it to show you, um, you know, that there's, that there's nothing out there. Well, then this miraculous catch of fish happens. Peter didn't expect it at all. Now notice what it says. It says, then when Simon Peter saw this, you see this transition beginning. You know, this guy who didn't expect much and now Jesus gives us this, this miraculous catch of fish. And Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. For I'm a sinful man. And Peter began to see that there was a, that there was a distinction between what he was and what God was calling him to be here. You know, and he has his eyes opened to, to who Jesus really is. And there's really kind of the unveiling of it. He calls him Simon. You know, as Jesus foretells his coming betrayal, uh, you know, he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. Get your attention here, he's saying. I need your attention because you're going to be facing this challenge. He calls him Simon as he fell asleep in the garden. He says, then he came, found him sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake for one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. I was thinking, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great if we could hear Jesus call us by a, a particular name that was saying, pay attention. 
Now pay attention. You're getting into a spot here that, that you know that, that's that's kind of that's going to kind of cause trouble here. So wake up, you know, and that's kind of what what is, is going on here. You know, is wake up. You're heading in the wrong way, and we kind of see that unfolding a little bit. Jesus calls him Peter when he's trying to call him to a higher purpose. Matthew chapter 16 is, and Jesus responded, Simon. Son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, didn't reveal that he is is the Lord, but my Father in heaven. And so I say to you that you are Peter. I'm calling you to something different, Simon. I'm calling you. You know, we sometimes think Simon Peter was the name he was given. Simon was the name he was given. Peter was the name Jesus gave him. And you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. Here is where you were, Simon, son of Jonah. This is what you were. This is what I'm calling to you. I say that you are Peter, the rock. I say that you are this rock that others can learn from, that others can lean on, that others are going to be able to grow, to step up into this role that he's calling you to. Peter was a fisherman by trade. He was a fisherman with his brother Andrew. And they uh, did fishing in the city of Capernaum there. Uh, he was married. It mentions in Luke chapter 4, verse 38, it says that Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. To have a mother-in-law, then you are married, you see. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says Peter took his wife along on apostolic missions they had there. He was recognized as a leader. In, in one of the lists, you know, in Mark chap, or Matthew chapter 10, he says, as he's talking about, he, as they're listening to the disciples, it says, first Simon who is called Peter. Now that word translated first there, it does not mean first in line. What it means is chief, leader of the group. He's, you know, he's being designated there by, by Matthew as Matthew is writing and got that, that we knew Peter was the, the leader, he says. Just by using that word, Peter seemed to have a naturally dominant personality and Jesus put that to good use. So what were some of the qualities that Peter had that maybe we can learn from? What is it that those qualities that he had that Jesus could begin to refine to use for his glory and honor? You know, what is it that's that's there uh, as we look at those? Peter had an inquisitiveness, and that made him a natural, a good leader. See, leaders ask questions. Leaders want to know more. When you think about it and you, and you think back through Scripture, it was Peter who asked the Lord to explain some of his difficult sayings. It was Peter who asked, how many times must I forgive my brother? It was Peter who asked what reward the disciples would get for leaving everything and following Jesus. We left everything, Lord. You know, what, what's there for us? And Peter has asked that. It was Peter who asked when they were going back into the town about that withered fig tree. Lord, this is that, that fig tree, you know, and he asks them about that. It's Peter who asked them questions in John 21 as they met Jesus on the beach. There was that inquisitiveness about him. It's good to want to know more. It's good to want to understand better. 
You see, this helps you grow in the right direction. And Peter was asking questions that would help him to grow and to understand. Now, he made some statements along the way sometimes. And when he was making some of those statements, sometimes is when he put his foot in his mouth quite often. But when he's asking questions and he's trying to learn more and he's trying to grow, it's a great thing. God never, never is resentful of honest questions. There's some things we don't understand when we go to him and we ask questions because we want to know more, not because we're trying to call him on the carpet. Now we say, well, we'd never do that. Well, that's what you do with some of your questions. You know, like, like, Lord, you need, you owe me an explanation for this. And again, we wouldn't word it that way, but sometimes that's how we ask those questions. Peter wants to know more. It's a great thing to do to ask the Lord, you know, Help me to understand what's going on here. He was inquisitive. Peter also had initiative. He had initiative. A leader has to have drive. A leader has to move the group forward. And Peter not only asked questions. Um, sometimes he was the first to uh, answer questions. He was the first one to give his opinion. Again, sometimes that worked well. Sometimes it didn't. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked who, the, who you know, people say that I am. Well, some are saying this, some are saying that. And and Jesus says, what about you guys? Who do you guys say I am? And while the other guys are scratching their chin and wondering and thinking, well, what is it we should say? Peter blurts right out there, you know, you're their Messiah, the son of the living God. Yeah, he's very, he takes initiative and sometimes not always in the best way. If you recall in the garden when Jesus was arrested and it says that the, the, the phrasing there gives you the indication that it wasn't just a few people who came to arrest him. It was a whole, a whole cohort, a group, possibly hundreds, you know, they all may not have fit in the garden. You know, they would, they would, they went, they went there with, with enough people that they felt they could suppress however many people were with Jesus at that time. And so while all of these people are there and coming to arrest him, what does Peter do? He whips out his sword and he starts swinging it. And he's going for the head of one of the, he's going for the head of one of the, the temple, you know, the, the temple servants there. And as he's going for the head, this guy ducks and he slices off his ear and, you know, Jesus corrects him. But here he is, you know, he's going for a headshot on a man who had hundreds to back him up. Sometimes his passion caused him to overlook the realities of the situation. But he did have initiative. He was also involved. <clears throat> Peter was involved. He's always in the middle of the action. A true leader doesn't really sit back and try to orchestrate things. They're right there. They're forging ahead. They're involved. They're, they're doing things. They want to be in the mix. In Matthew, when Jesus comes walking out to the disciples in the midst of a storm, it says that the, the disciples were looking and they're wondering and they're afraid and they're wondering, is this a ghost? You know, is this a ghost that's there? And as they're trying, as they're making this identification, that is Jesus. And Peter says, you know, if it's you, Lord, let me, let me walk out to you. He wanted to be there. He wanted to be where the action is. Jesus says, come. What does Peter do? He steps out of the boat. He steps out of the boat and he goes and he begins to walk across there. Too often what we do when we don't come to this passage is we look at, at Peter and we say, well, he took his eyes off of Jesus and he began to sink. Why don't we look at it and say, that dude stepped out of the boat and into the storm. 
You know, he took a step of, of, of faith there. It's huge. You know, it's huge. He's, he's there for involvement. He wants involvement, serious involvement. He wanted to be where Jesus was. Jesus is over there. Let's go. You know, he didn't, when, when Jesus said come, he didn't say, but Lord, it's water. He got up and he gets moving. You know, it, it was only after he jumped in that he began to think about the danger. You know, after he got there, you know, take a chance, jump in, don't be stopped because you might make a mess. One of the, one of the ways I work is I have a general idea what I'm going to do and I start that way and kind of fill it out as we go. I, I, I know I wanted to preach on the apostles and trust me, it's not all there yet, you know, and, and uh, so we're working on it. I, when I, when I built the deck, I knew kind of how I wanted it and we started working and we do, uh, Here's the deal for you. You know, if you aren't willing to make a mess, then you're probably never going to make a difference. If you are stopped because you're afraid that you're going to make a mess or because you're going to mess something, you will, you will probably never make a difference. Peter wasn't afraid to get in the middle of things. He wasn't afraid to jump up there. He had these qualities of of, of leadership, but he still had to be trained. He had to be trained to listen and to follow Jesus. Listening is incomplete without following. That's not on the screen, but, you know, it might be a good thing for you to remember to write on the back of your hand. Listening is incomplete without following. It just is. If all you do is listen and it makes no difference, then what's? the difference you haven't changed it was this training you know combined with these qualities here that allowed peter then to stand in front of the crowd on pentecost 50 days after jesus was was resurrected was ascended and you know and then tell them to tell them at pentecost that they killed their messiah a couple of months earlier and now they needed to believe in this one they had killed And he had that strength then. Jesus formed Peter much the way he forms all of us. You know, by taking us through experiences that he knows we need to build and to refine our character. We don't always like those. But God will take, God loves us enough to take us through those experiences that He knows we need to build and to refine our character. If you're afraid of falling, you'd never learn to read, to, to ride a bike. If you're afraid of crashing, you're never going to learn to drive a car. If you let the fear of failure stop you, you see, you're never going to have some of those experiences that God wants to take you through. Some of which will work out well, won't they? I remember when I was learning to drive. Okay, the very first time, here's the deal for you. The very first time I uh, I drove a vehicle, um, you know, I, I wasn't, I, I didn't have that privilege that, you know, some of you had, not many of you, but, you know, being able to go out in a country where there was nothing around, um, you know, in Chicago, there was always something around. We stopped at, at Newman Drugs on the corner of 144th and Chicago Road in Dalton, 
the suburb we grew up in. And uh, after church on Sunday, and my family went in. My brother and I stayed outside. My brother had just gotten his license. He was a few years older than me. Um, and and uh, he thought the best thing to do was he would be the one to teach his little brother how to drive. My brother had a, a, a 1960 Ford Fairlane. And uh, my sister and brother-in-law had just gotten a brand new um, 1963 and a half. They used to do that then. Ford Galaxy 500, which was parked right next to us. My brother says, come on, you're going to drive. Stick shift, you know, on the column. And so I back it out just fine. The drugstore parking lot was filled. We went down, we drove, we turned around, and he said, pull in. So I did. I pulled in next to my sister and took out the side of the car from the back bumper all the way to the front bumper. That was my very first experience driving. Well, then when I got to the eight, okay, I was, uh, let's see, my brother was, my brother was 16, uh, 50, where there's, so I was 12. Um, you know, and so then when I got to, you know, when I was 15 and took driver's ed, um, I went to the driver's ed class and uh, my high school was on Sibley Boulevard. Sibley Boulevard is like Coliseum. And so my sister had taken me driving. You know, I wrecked her car, so she figured better if I was on the inside, perhaps. But at any rate, so I knew a little bit about driving. So the teacher gets in. He says, any of you ever driven before? Well, yeah, I did. So I said, yeah, me, you know, because I'm quick to answer a question and think about it later. So he has me drive. I pull out on Assembly Boulevard. We go down. I was fine. We go down to the gas station. He said, pull up to the pump. Pull up to the pump? What are you nuts? Last time I pulled up to something close, I... Uh, you know, and, and I remember I was scared, you know, you know, but so, so what happens if you're so scared, then you're not going to do anything and never put gas in a car. Well, it's not going to last very long, is it? You see that the whole thing, it, God calls us and takes us through experiences to help. I didn't hit the gas pump, by the way. I, I've never hit a gas pump. Just a thought, uh, you know, and the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you, know, and, and, you know, but the, to have to, you go through those experiences, and, and you and you grow by those things. And the, God is willing to take us through the experiences He knows we need to build and to refine our character. And He will make sure that we have the kind of experiences He knows we need to be the people that He is willing to help us be. And that he wants us to become. Just so you know, just so you know, God does not want bitter, angry people. You can respond in the wrong way, but God, he does not want bitter, angry people. You know, you can respond poorly to the opportunity he gives you. So just, just remember that. Peter went from, from some very high points in his life. Matthew 16, when, you know, who do you think I am? He says, you're, you're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And he went from a very high point, just, just really, just a short time later to some very low points when he, when Jesus is, is saying, you know, what's going to happen to him and Peter says, that's eh, not going to happen to you, Lord, no way. And Jesus has to say to him, get behind me, Satan. 
Peter is the only one of his disciples that he also called Satan. Just a thought for you there. You are an offense to me because you're not thinking about God's concerns but man's. See, Peter learned and he grew and Jesus continued to teach him and guide him through all of it. And Peter's character was formed by this time that he spent with Jesus. And character is important. It's something we lose in our society today. Character is important. You see, and, and we've had politicians telling us for years that character doesn't matter. God says differently. Character matters. It does matter. Yeah, and, and we need to we, we need to get a hold of that. You know, the character of elders and deacons. You know, they, they are particularly and intentionally high in scripture because they are leaders. And leaders who will be, who are out there as an example for God and he puts them intentionally high. One of the qualities that Peter learned was submission. Because a good leader knows the value of submission in his own life. You know, if, if you don't know the, if you don't know the value of submission, you will have a very difficult time submitting to God. You'll have a very difficult time submitting to his word. In Matthew chapter 17, we see a time where Jesus taught Peter the importance of submission. It says, when they came to Capernaum, uh, those who collected the double drachma tax approached Peter and said, doesn't your teacher pay the double drachma tax? The double drachma tax, this was not a government tax, just so you understand that. This was not a government tax. This was a, te- a tax for the temple paid by, paid by the, the men, paid by males, for the upkeep of the temple. This is the double drachma tax. So he's talking about something that was, that was uh, a Jewish and it was paid you know, to the temple. This isn't a government thing at all. And so... Uh, Peter answers, you know, yes, he said, even though, even though it seems, you know, that he may not have been real sure about the answer. Uh, it says, when he went into the house, <clears throat> when Peter, that is, went into the house, Jesus spoke to him first. Jesus brought up the subject because he knew what was going on out there. He says, uh, you know, what do you think, Simon? Who do earthly kings collect tariffs and taxes from, from their sons or from strangers? Well, from strangers, he said. You see, because one of the benefits of being the, uh, the son of a king in their society, you didn't pay taxes. And we're all thinking now, dude, I like that. Uh, you know, but th- th- that was one of the benefits, that, that the sons literally did not pay taxes, the sons of the kings there. Jesus says, and the sons are free, Jesus told him. But so we won't offend them. Go to the sea, cast a fish hook, and take the first fish that you catch. When you open its mouth, you'll find a coin. Take it and give it to them for me and for you. Jesus is telling him, he says, so I don't, I don't need to pay that tax then, do I? You know, he's, he's telling him, he's making, he's making it clear, you know, as the son of God, Jesus didn't need, he was not obligated to pay that tax for the temple upkeep. But in order not to offend, Jesus says, he submitted to that temple tax. Why? Because he didn't want to offend. Well, not only that, now Peter got the blessing, you know, notice what it, you know, notice what it says there. Give him that coin for me and for you, uh, you know, so Peter got, Peter got his tax paid by Jesus there if he went. And Peter learned the importance of submission. Here's what Peter wrote to his, those who were scattered later in First Peter, one of the book we looked at this morning before communion. Peter writes, he says, Submit to every authority because of the Lord. 
Because God has made a difference in your life, he says. Whether the emperor has supreme authority or the governor, those sent by him to punish you know, those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. As God's slave, live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Household slaves, submit with all fear to your masters, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the cruel. He is not saying here that slavery is fine. He's not saying that all governments are good. What he's saying here is because God has made a difference in your life, I want you to learn to live a life of submission. Another refining moment for Peter is recorded in Luke chapter 22. Uh, he says, Simon, Simon, look out. This is just, you know, this is, you know, just before, the, you know, the crucifixion is coming. Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times. Now you know me. Wheat is sifted by beating it and then by tossing it in the air. And as they toss it in the air, the, the process of that blows, the wind blows away the worthless chaff and the good wheat falls to the ground. We used to have uh, uh, budgies, parakeets, little parakeets. Uh, the girls had them when they were small. And you had to, you know, you feed them seed and... The uh, lady told us, uh, the uh, pet store lady, she told us, she said, now you're going to look in there and the, the cup's going to look full. She says, it's not full. Those are the empty husks. The parakeet will, and there's these little tiny seeds, you know, look like a, tons of little tiny, tiny ball bearings. And, and she says, you know, the, they break the husk off and it falls back in there and they just eat the seed. So you're going to have to change that. Well, we were doing it. And when they say eat like a bird, it's not a little. Just trust me. Uh, you know, we're going through seed, you know, like somebody turned on the water faucet and this ain't going to work. So what I started doing is I would dump that seed into a bowl. And then as the bowl got full, I would go outside and I would start pouring from one bowl into the other. And if it wasn't breezy, I would blow on it. And the chaff blows away and then the good seed fell down so that I didn't have to go you know, buy more. I'm cheap. But it worked. You know, and this is, this is the picture he's talking about here. You know, and Jesus is telling Peter, Satan asked for permission to test Peter. And Jesus allowed it. Much like Job when he was tested. Now notice he says, he says, Simon, Simon. He's saying, I'm, I need your attention here, Simon. You're going to be facing some problems and you're going to mess up here. He's calling Peter's attention to the fact that he's again going to be responding from his old unregenerate nature, you know, his unregenerate self and not from his faith in Christ. And notice in typical Peter fashion, he very arrogantly says he would never slip. He'd never go to, he'd go to his death before he denied Jesus. Peter was a master of the absolute statements. You know, he would make these. A short while before this exchange, when, when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, when it came to Peter, Peter said, You will never wash my feet, Lord. When, when In Matthew, when Jesus is telling the apostles they'll all run away, Peter says, I will never run away. Here he says, I will never deny you. 
We would expect that Jesus would say, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I told him he couldn't do it. But he doesn't. He lets Peter know that he is going to be sifted like wheat. And Jesus also let Peter know that his faith would come out purified and stronger than it was at that particular moment because Jesus has interceded for him. And when his faith was cleansed from the chaff, from the worthless stuff he needed to strengthen his brothers, and through the refining process, that restoration process in John chapter 21, Peter learned to be compassionate. He learned to be tenderhearted. He learned to be gracious, kind, comforting to others who are struggling. Again, in his first letter, he writes, Be serious. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him. Be firm in the faith knowing that the same sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. Now the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, he will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered for a little while. Peter understood. He understood the struggle of temperament and human weakness, and he understood the importance of getting back up again. He knew that he needed to get back up again. He was writing out of his own experience of learning to submit to God. And through all of this, Peter also learned courage. He learned courage, and it was courage that he would need. In John chapter 21, as as Jesus is restoring Peter, he tells him, he says, I assure you that when you were young, uh, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify the kind of death that he would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. For Peter, the price of following Christ was persecution, oppression, trouble, torture, and even martyrdom. And he needed that courage. He needed this rock-solid faith for what was ahead of him. And in the Gospels, we see Peter from going, you know, from this guy who drew his sword in the garden against impossible odds. And then just a few hours later, he was standing next to fire and he was vehemently denying Jesus, calling down curses on his own head. In just a matter of, a matter of hours there, and this is all going on. And then after Pentecost, we see a faith in Peter that was strengthened and refined. Peter and John were arrested, brought before the Sanhedrin, that same ruling body, the same ruling body who had condemned Jesus to death just a short time earlier. And they were told, they were told, don't preach in that name anymore. Don't preach in that name of Jesus. And their reply, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than God, well, you decide. But for us, we're unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. And they went and spoke about him. And shortly after that, they were brought back again before the Sanhedrin. And speaking about Jesus, you know, their reply, it says, But Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. You see, because by this time, Peter had acquired that rock-solid faith. He wasn't flashing back and forth. And that faith enabled him to strengthen his brothers, as Jesus told him to do. In fact... Some more of what he wrote to his brothers. 
Praise God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us that new birth into the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And those words continue to strengthen us today, not just those he wrote to. He grew tremendously, but he still wasn't perfect. In Galatians, Paul writes about a time where Peter caved into the persecution of the Judaizers. And as he, was, he had been eating, Peter had been eating with and interacting with the Gentiles who had come to know and who had come into relationship with Christ. And then a group of Judaizers came along. They put pressure on Peter. And it says that Peter, you know, he, he backed away from interacting with the Gentiles. And in his influence, it influenced others, even Barnabas, to, to go and, and to go the other, because Peter was a leader. And Paul rebuked Peter in front of everyone, it says. He rebuked him to his face, and to his credit, uh, Peter responded well. So well that later, when the Judaizers were confronted by the early church council, uh, Peter was the first to speak in their defense, in the defense of the Gentiles and the ministry of Paul. And he led that council to stand for the gospel of grace and not for works. Scripture doesn't record Peter's death for us. Uh, but it does record his words, uh, Jesus' words to him, indicating that he would die for his faith, what we looked at just a minute ago. I assure you, when you were young, you would tie your belt and walk wherever you wanted. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will tie you and carry you where you don't want to go. He said this to signify by what kind of death he would glorify God. And after saying this, he told him, follow me. Early church historians tell us that Peter was crucified. Before he was killed, he had to watch his wife be crucified. And Clement, one of the earlier church historians, says that while his wife uh, was being let out to her death. He called to her by name and said, remember the Lord. And then when it was Peter's turn, it said that he didn't feel he was worthy to die in the same way as his Lord. So he begged them to crucify him upside down. And so the church historians tell us that it was nailed to the cross head downward. But the final words in his second letter just really seem to be a good summary of his life. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. 
those words still stand as a challenge for us today. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And strive to live for his glory. There's some questions on the bottom of your outline to help you think through this. And I hope to help you grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the men you chose to be your followers and the things you recorded about them that we might learn about ourselves, that we might learn more of what you are calling us to, that we might be reminded of your refining process in our lives, and that we might be people who would indeed grow in the grace and knowledge of you that we would live lives for your glory now and as many days as you give us. Help us toward that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.